0: This podcast is made available for free globally. That is only possible through my relationships with advertising partners. If you would like to access an ad-free version of Practical Stoicism, go to stoicismpod.com forward slash members to learn more. I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform, and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it, and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had To make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which from personal experience I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often, so stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all in one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. Seed DSO-1 is a daily symbiotic, which is a probiotic and prebiotic formulated to provide benefits for gut immune function and whole body health. I take it every morning before I eat. Which is when it works the best. And I have noticed a big difference in my digestion, regularity, and even my skin. It's nice that this benefit comes in a small package that needs no refrigeration and really is just a couple of simple, small pills. You also get this cool little travel vial in case you're traveling, so you don't have to stuff a bunch of loose pills in your pocket, which is nice. It's also nice that this product is so rigorously tested from a scientific perspective, which makes seeds probiotic research, development, and innovation programs a lot more trustworthy. So trust your gut health to Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com forward slash practical and use code 25practical to get 25% off of your first month. That's 25% off of your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com forward slash practical with the code 25practical. Welcome back to Practical Stoicism. I hope you enjoyed yesterday's discussion with Jason and Maggie from the Wrongful Conviction podcast. We're going to probably dive into the thoughts that followed that episode after I've had a chance to re-listen to it a few times. There really is this difference between the stoic concept of justice, which is about fairness, and modern justice, which centers around the idea of punishment for wrongdoing or the absence of punishment for being wrongly accused. And I think that that will be a worthwhile conversation to have, but I need more time to marinate on everything that was discussed and really frame it in a stoic framework. In the meantime, today we'll be covering meditation number 41 from book 4, which reads as follows. Thou art a little soul bearing about a corpse, as Epictetus used to say. Finally, Epictetus gets a shout out, but we won't spend too much time on him. That'll be in a future season of practical stoicism. But what we're being reminded of in the meditation today is what we talked about on Tuesday, This, and I'm pointing at my chest here and the rest of me, I guess, is just a body, a worthless nothing, a shell for our consciousness, a container. It's not the body that matters. It's what we're doing with our consciousness, with our faculty, with our mind. Are we using our faculty to flee our appropriate duty? For the sake of what? For the sake of what our body wants, namely to avoid pain or death? Is this how we want to go on living? Do we want to live by avoiding death through the doing of unjust things? Do we want to fail to be brave when we need to be? Fail to be just when we need to be? Fail to be what we know we should be when we need to be, just so we can go on living? And living what, exactly? What are we living after making those sorts of concessions? Are we living a life? I mean, perhaps in a literal sense, yes, we are living a life, but is it a life worth living? What did Socrates say? The unexamined life is not worth living. The Stoics take that a step further by suggesting that the life spent striving towards virtue is the only life worth living. And therefore, if you're going to live a life avoiding the pursuit of virtue, then why the hell are you living? For the pleasures of your husk, your container? I mean, really? That's it? What sort of challenge is that? What sort of worthwhile thing is that? Sex, wine, money, opulent food, all the time, 24 7. And when you die, what can you say of yourself on your deathbed? I suppose if you're happy with it and you think that's all that matters, then to you, that's all that matters. And maybe on your deathbed, you'll be quite content. But if that is you, then you're not a stoic and you should probably stop pretending to be one. Or, and I hope, if this does describe you, that this episode turns you around. Or you can realize that you're not really making the effort Stoicism requires of you, and you can decide today, right the heck now, to change that behavior. Because whether you're 14, 30, 50, or 90, it is not too late to start caring about your virtue and seeing it, as the Stoics did, as the only good and as the only thing truly worth striving after, and perhaps truly worth living for. And that is all I've got for today, as far as meditations are concerned. But this has been a pretty short episode, so let's dig into the mailbag and see if we've got a listener question. Just kidding, I already know we do. Here it is.
1: Hi, Tanner. As a mom of a four-year-old and a professional working with kids ranging 6 to 12 on a daily basis, I often think about ways to get them to at least start thinking about some Stoic principles. At this age range, their psychological development is at a critical point, and it seems to me that we should be taking advantage of it. I heard in one of the episodes that the suggested age to really start talking and teaching about Stoicism is around 14 to 16, but I just know we can do a lot before that. When we're teaching and raising them from such a young age, hopefully, hopefully, we're raising them to be virtuous adults, even if we don't name the names and don't introduce the Stoics or talk about the principles, right? Could this be considered some sort of pre-intro to Stoicism? What do you think? What have you found on your researches about this? Common sense tells me that this should be, should and could easily be a part of a regular upbringing, but I may just be too optimistic.
0: So that was the voice of Sofia, who herself has a Stoicism podcast, which I believe is in Portuguese, but I may be wrong about that. She lives in Portugal, and assuming that she lives somewhere near where I'll be moving, she'll soon be my neighbor because I am relocating to Portugal this year. I don't know if I've shared that on the podcast before. I've had a lot going on, so if I've said that before and it's not news, cool. If I've not said it before, that's news. Hi, I'm relocating to Portugal this year. No, not permanently, just for a few years. But Sofia might be my neighbor again, depending on where she lives. And she's got a Stoicism podcast, so you should check it out. Sophia, I want to be really careful here because I am not a parent, and I think when people who are not parents start giving parental advice, parents tend not to appreciate it. So let's start with your statement that there's an age range that the ancient Stoics said someone needed to reach before they should be taught Stoicism, or maybe even philosophy at large. That is true, and I think it was 16, if I'm not mistaken. Why that was the reason, I can venture a couple of guesses. The first and most obvious is maturity. You need a certain level of maturity in order to sit down and even take in these stoic concepts in a way that is mature. I mean, I don't know what you were like when you were eight. But when I was eight, I was a pain in the ass and you couldn't get me to sit still for money. (laughs) You wouldn't have been able to get me to sit still. And if we're talking about kids who are six, five and four, I mean, it's hard to get them to really respond to anything. Maybe let's say Epictetus would say in a way that was like, hmm, yes, that's a good point, mom or dad. It would be really hard to make that happen. So 16 probably just had something to do with maturity or what was seen as being man enough or becoming a man or becoming a woman, although in that time frame it would have been mostly men, something about that age must have seemed mature. Another reason would have been that philosophy in general, and Stoicism specifically, is very rigid and it requires a person to behave in a certain way and think in a certain way. And not only is it hard to get a young person to think in a certain way, it might also be ill-advised to have a young person molded into thinking a certain way before that young person can think for themselves. I think that most responsible, sensible, logical adults have the impression that indoctrinating young children into anything beyond, perhaps, harmless cultural norms like tie your shoes or wipe your feet before you come in the house or Santa Claus or Elf on the Shelf, you know, things like that, that most of us think that indoctrinating kids into rigid belief systems is problematic because from an ethical standpoint, we're not allowing them to come to an age where they have enough of their mental faculties intact to, or mental faculties developed, I should say, to make a decision for themselves. If you start teaching a kid stoicism at the age of four, you're kind of indoctrinating them into stoicism. And I remember Epictetus said something to one of his students once, and I'll try to find this and put a link to the larger quote, the actual quote in the show notes. But he said something like, you can only be what you are. And that if you try to be something you're not, that that is, in his words, I think he said against the gods. Well, if it's against the gods to try to be something you're not, then it's probably also against the gods to force someone to be something that you don't know whether or not they yet want to be. Now, that said, and I think you realize that, Sophia, that's kind of embedded in your question, the understanding that we don't want to indoctrinate a young person into a specific way of thinking. But we do want to instill in young people some sense of personal responsibility, some sense of kindness and fairness and, you know, those cardinal virtues. And I can only speak from my experience as a child being parented. I can only look at how my parents raised me and provide you the best answer, which I think is lead by example. I don't think we need to get them to read any special books or anything like that. I think that kids, this is my understanding as someone without kids, look at adults and attempt to mirror them. Because even though when they're teenagers, they hate their parents, from what I hear, they still want to be like adults, especially when they're younger. Four, five, six, seven, eight, maybe. I'm not a psychologist or a child therapist, but my understanding is that kids mimic. And I guess I'll give you an example It is very rare for me to walk into or out of any building, any place with a door, and not hold it for the person behind me. In fact, sometimes to a fault, maybe, I will hold the door open as I'm about to walk into it for the person who's still behind me by about 30 feet, and they have to do a little jog to get there so it's not an awkward amount of time that I'm standing there with the door open, right? I think the reason I do that is because every time I didn't do that as a child, my mom or my dad would smack me on the back of the head and say, you know, not hard, but, you know, kind of flick me in the back of the head and say, hey, there's somebody behind you. Why don't you hold the door for the nice man or for the nice lady? And so it became kind of ingrained in me that way. Now, if they had said, Tanner, you hold the door because that's the stoic concept of justice, I would have said, mom, I really don't care, right? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm six. But I think mostly it's leading by example. Another example might be how you treat waitstaff. This is huge. I'm sure so many of you out there have seen someone mistreat a waiter or waitress or host or hostess, and it just boils your blood I think when your kid says, and my parents used to do this to me all the time too, right? A a waitress or a waiter would ask, would you like a refill of your Coke or whatever it was? And I would say, yeah, or "Uh uh-huh. And my dad would say, "Uh uh-huh, what? As in, you're supposed to say please and thank you. And I think that's maybe the best you can do. Again, not a child psychologist, not a child therapist, not a psychologist at all, not a parent at all. But I think leading by example and you know, giving your kid a little nudge when they don't do the thing that you feel they should be doing and not providing some heady explanation as to why they should do it. Simply saying that it's the right thing to do or it's the good thing to do is probably enough. Another one for my parents was if I ever had my elbows on the table while I was eating. Good golly, if I had ever done that, they would have just pushed my elbows right off of the table and I'd almost fall on my face. They used to say the only person in this house who can eat with their elbows on the table is your grandfather because he's earned it. And coincidentally, my grandfather never ate with his elbows on the table because he thought it was inappropriate. So I think leading by example and I think just kind of pestering them when they're not doing the thing they should and prompting them kind of in that "Uh uh-huh what kind of way so that they have to say it. And because I'm not a parent and because I'm not a psychologist, I think that that's probably all the advice I have. I think that you should lead by example and you should, you know, poke your kid and get them to correct their own behavior in a way that is, you know, ah, mom, ah, dad, slightly embarrassing and annoying for them. But, you know, you can't move forward until you've corrected your behavior. If you do want a refill of your Coke, Johnny or Becky, you've got to say yes, please. And thank you. And hold the door for the nice old lady and hold the door for the nice old man or the nice young lady or the nice young man. And just tell them that the reasons that you do those things is because they are the good, right, appropriate things to do. And as they get older, I imagine you can fill in those gaps with more specificity. Hey, mom, you always told me it was good to hold the door, but why is it good? And maybe when they're 14 or 15 or 16, maybe they're old enough to flesh that out a little bit and they'll have a more developed faculty to actually have it fleshed out in a way that's useful to them. But I think that's where I'll stop because not a psychologist, not a parent, I've said it like 1,100 times at this point, but I think it's important to be upfront about what I'm not. All I am is a stoic prokopton. So I will now stop giving child disciplinary advice and child raising advice and just say thank you, Sophia, for the question. And to all of you listening, please check out Sophia's podcast. Again, I will put a link in the show notes of this episode. And that is all I've got for you today. I would really like your feedback on how you feel about appending a listener question to a daily meditation. Does that detract from the meditation? Does it help? Obviously, it's a bit of a two-way street. If I'm going to do 365 episodes a year with 365 listener questions, I'm going to need 365 listeners to submit questions, which you can do by going to, and I think you'll hear this in the outro this week as well, but you can do it by going to stoicismpot.com forward slash ask. I love answering questions. I do my best to give good advice. And when I can't give any advice at all, well, I probably won't take your question, but give it a shot because I might have some advice to give. Thanks again for the question, Sophia. Thank you for listening today. And until next time, time. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Practical Stoicism. I have two things I'd like to ask you to do this week. Go to stoicismpod.com forward slash ask and submit some questions for upcoming episodes. If you're curious about things, I want to answer your questions. And secondly, consider joining our new 365-day journaling program. You can find out more at journaling.stoicismpod.com. Links in the show notes. Until next time, take care.